Chapter One of the Real Oscar Wilde by Robert Sherard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When on third April eighteen ninety five, at the trial of John Sholto Douglas, eighth Marquess of Queensbury, who was being prosecuted at the Old Bailey for an alleged criminal libel upon Mr. Oscar Wilde, the prosecutor's examination in chief had been concluded by a most emphatic denial of the truth of any one of the many allegations which had been made by the defence in justification of the libel mr edward carson as he then was who was leading counsel for lord queensbury rose to cross-examine his first question bore on the date of oscar wilde's birth he spoke as follows you stated that your age was thirty-nine i think that you are over forty you were born on sixteenth october eighteen fifty four i had no wish to pose as being young answered the prosecutor i am thirty-nine or forty you have my certificate and that settles the matter to this he added an ironical ah very well when mr carson pointed out that any one born on sixteenth october eighteen fifty four would be more than forty on third april eighteen ninety five the motive of the defending counsel no doubt was to cast ab initio a doubt on the prosecutor's truthfulness at the same time it was well for the purposes of the defence that it should be possible to speak of him as a man of over forty when the question of the disparity in the ages of himself and his friends all very young men was to be used as a weapon against him oscar wilde told mr carson that he had no wish to pose as being young in that unworthy book of his entitled oscar wilde and myself lord alfred douglas declares that his former friend was always most keenly solicitous lest his appearance should betray the loss of youth he describes how careful he was about his toilet how sedulously he used to brush his hair many times a day and gives an amusing anecdote about oscar wilde's indignation when he overheard an algerian hotel porter speaking of him to lord douglas as votre papa douglas says that whenever afterwards he wished to quiz wilde he used to say votre papa now i first met oscar wilde in the early part of eighteen eighty three when he had just passed his twenty-eighth birthday and was frequently in his company during the seventeen years which elapsed some trite and banal a few splendid and opulent and the rest squalid and unhappy between our first rencontre and his mournful death on thirtieth of november nineteen hundred and during the whole of that time i never once heard him say anything to make people believe him younger than he was nor saw him ever posture as the beau jeune homme as he was once described to me it was shortly after we had first met and he had called to see me at the secluded house deep down in a garden in the rue de la tour in passy where i was living i was out at the time of his call and when i returned i was told that a beau jeune homme had been to see me i hardly realised that it was my new friend for oscar wilde had a repose and dignity which one does not usually associate with youth however 
next morning i received a delightful letter from him chiding me for my absence i remember that i sent him a pneumatic telegram in which as sole reply to his upbraidings i wrote the french saying les absents ont toujours tort he tried in his paradoxical way to establish that people who live in remote suburbs and who have friends in the metropolis who are likely to come to see them have no right whatever at any time to absent themselves from their homes with reference to his expedition itself he said that passy might best be described as a place driving to which the cabman would get down every five minutes to ask for something on account of his pourboire the letter which was one of the first i received from him and which i remember was addressed to the citoyen Gerard, was many years ago with other papers of mine stolen from my house in paris at a time when being frequently seen in attendance at general boulanger's house or in the company of his friends and adherents such as henri rochefort chincol and members of the royalist party i had come under the suspicion of the french political police there were other letters from wilde in the bundle of papers which some zealous mouchard no doubt abstracted i never ceased to regret their loss for they were so characteristic of the man as he was in those days of his new incarnation when aestheticism jettisoned he was sailing with a fair wind to a land of promise perhaps i regretted them most at the time when i came to write what dr benz calls my great life of oscar wilde because as documents they would have been most illuminative of the man's psychology at the period referred to and then by the irony of things after the book had been published i heard of my missing letters just about twenty years after they had vanished i was on the riviera at the time and one day received from the editor of an important review published in berlin a letter asking me if i had authorised a certain baron x residing in paris to traffic with several letters written to me in eighteen eighty three by oscar wilde the editor said that in view of the colossal interest that was being taken at that time in germany in oscar wilde and in everything he had ever written he would have only been too pleased to purchase this correspondence even at the exorbitant price asked for the letters by the baron but that he thought it was his duty to ask me what i knew about the matter before concluding the bargain a few days later i further received a letter from her ladyship herself she informed me that she had found these letters at one of the bookshops on the quai voltaire she had purchased them and was anxious merely for the sake of oscar wilde's greater glory as a specimen of his beau style epistolaire to give them to the world parler entre amis of a leading german periodical my authorization however was necessary to enable her to accomplish this act of filial literary piety as i had been forewarned as to her real motives i vouchsafed no other answer to this letter than an exploit or notice from a huissier at cannes warning her that the letters were stolen property and that any use of them would bring down upon her all the terrors of the penal code i remember that the name of the huissier or process server was a sonorous one maitre tixador he charged me a louis for the exploit and promised me to draw it up in a proper fashion quelque chose de soigné he said 
it must have been particularly soignet for from that day to this i have never heard of the baronne again nor have these letters ever been published possibly her ladyship concluded a deal with some merchant in autographs and if so as the value of wild autographs goes nowadays must have realised at least five times the sum which the berlin editor looked upon as an exorbitant amount if i never once heard le beau jeune homme as the writer of these letters was described by my porter at passy vaunt youthfulness for himself in common with all who knew him i was aware of his admiration of youth his writings abound in allusions to his preference for young people to those whom in one of his plays he spoke of as of the usual age the homme d'un certain age as the middle-aged man is described in france was perhaps unfairly censured by wilde as necessarily tedious i remember pointing out to him that one man d'un certain age and indeed beyond it who used to speak of himself as us youth the immortal falstaff to wit was anything but a very tedious personality and all that wilde could find to answer was oh yes falstaff falstaff but then he was a genius and besides he was a villain and those whom the gods hate die old his preference for young people would exact no such lengthy exposition as has been given to it here if it had not been cast up against him for offence and suspicion both before his trials and in their course there is no doubt that the fact that he was rarely seen about town in other society but that of very young men was malevolently commented upon both in london and in paris and contributed to the volume of prejudice by which in eighteen ninety five far more than by anything which was satisfactorily proved against him he was overwhelmed in which connection i remember entering the cafe royal one evening with a somewhat priggish person who like many englishmen of his class was only too ready to condemn oh i said there's oscar wilde over there come over to his table and i'll introduce you to him oh no thank you he said i shouldn't mind so much if he were alone but he has got a youth with him and if there's anything in the world that bores me it's the conversation of your cocksure young man give me maturity i say at all times a youth that i cried why that's cotsford dick at that time cotsford dick wit and poet was considerably over forty years old he certainly under artificial light and at a distance could be taken for twenty years younger his fondness for young people was over and over again cast up against him during his three trials with tedious insistence such a question as did you know so-and-so would on an affirmative reply having been given immediately be followed by how old was he on one occasion on fourth april during the queensbury trial mr carson asks him as to various of his acquaintances were all these young men about twenty and he answers quite frankly yes twenty or twenty-one and he adds i like the society of young men 
a little later on referring to a particular person mr carson asks again how old was he and wilde who was getting rather hipped at this line of cross-examination retorts really i do not keep a census carson says never mind about a census tell me how old he was the answer is i should say he was about twenty he was young and that was one of his attractions a few minutes later wilde formulated his creed in the following words i delight in the society of people much younger than myself i like those who may be called idle and careless i recognise no social distinctions at all of any kind and to me youth the mere fact of youth is so wonderful that i would sooner talk to a young man for half an hour than be even well cross-examined in court at the first trial in answer to a question from sir frank lockwood previously one of his friends he told mr solicitor that he preferred the companionship of young people because i like to be liked i liked their society simply because i like to be lionised an unprejudiced jury would have taken that answer as an all-sufficient explanation especially a jury with any understanding of that particular and almost pathetic vanity of the literary genre writers want praise hunger for it thirst for it and the spectacle of oscar wilde pontifying before youth not of his social standing should in justice have suggested no more evil than that of moliere reading his manuscripts to his cook and delighting in her approbation indeed mr justice wills whose summing up was a fairly impartial one pointed out to the jury how unfair it would be to follow the suggestion of the prosecution and to find culpability in the fact of wilde's fondness for youthful companions he might have gone further and have pointed out that any man of the world would as a matter of course be aware of the unclean suspicions which such frequentations would arouse in london and that no sane man having evil intentions would allow such frequentations to be a matter of public knowledge people in london are so inclined to conceive evil that as a metropolitan magistrate pointed out the other day it is a matter of extreme danger for any paternally minded man to speak or offer a little present to a small girl in the streets or parks and anybody whom the sight of a pretty child arouses to interest and benevolence must have realised this danger from the umbrageous glances which he has encountered and the rumour of suspicion which he has overheard oscar fingal o'flaherty wills wilde was born in dublin on fourteenth october eighteen fifty four i have always understood on his own authority that this event took place at number one merrion square the fine house at the corner of lincoln's place which was both the residence and the consulting place of his distinguished father william robert wills wilde who was one of the most celebrated eye and ear doctors of his age who enjoyed a european reputation and who for his great services to medical science as well as to literature was in eighteen sixty three knighted by the viceroy lord carlyle 
in his unworthy book oscar wilde and myself lord alfred douglas ridicules wilde's observation in de profundis that he had inherited a noble name he does much more he points to this claim as a proof of the charge of snobbishness which he urges against his former friend now albeit wilde is a noble name and belongs to a family in the peerage it is obvious that it was not that kind of nobility to which the author of de profundis referred he meant that the name he had inherited had been distinguished and ennobled by the father's fine work industry devotion self-sacrifice and great capacities i can state this with all the more certainty because i very well remember asking him in the first days of our acquaintance whether he were connected with the barons of truro who have the same family name as his his answer was no i don't think so i have never heard it if there is any connection it is so remote as to be negligible if the word snob may be defined as a man who adulates those of superior rank and wealth and boasts about any attache he may have or pretend to have with such persons then i may say that throughout a long and extensive experience of the world i have never met a man to whom that definition could with less justice be applied than oscar wilde i have heard him boasting of his friendship with great writers i have heard him speak with pride of notice taken of him and of his works by men or women whom he considered great artists but never once during all the years i knew him did i hear him endeavour to borrow social lustre by boasting of acquaintanceship with noblemen or millionaires they are little better than farmers en grosse was a comment he once made when i had made some remark about our great landowning nobility on several occasions i have been in his company with noblemen of at least equal distinction and pedigrees as the descendants of the douglas or dark grey warrior and noted with great pride for i was immensely proud of my friend that the deference and adulation came from them to him it was he who was courted who was listened to whose words had authority i remember being with oscar wilde at a supper given at the garrick club by beerbohm tree the occasion was the election of lord edward cecil to the membership of the club there was a duke there and one or two other noblemen several actors and a few hommes de lettres including the elderly editor of a most important literary weekly wilde's woman of no importance was playing at the haymarket at the time and wilde was certainly the hero of the night and morning his conversation scintillated his play being assailed by a lord somebody he made a brilliant defence of his way of looking at things it is a pity no record of that conversation exists all i can remember is that the lord something somebody kept repeating you see my dear fellow if i seduce a woman she becomes an outcast while i remain lord something somebody of blank hall there was a vague relent of snobbishness in the air but it seemed to me to emanate rather from the noblemen themselves it was most interesting to me to watch the scene for while the elderly editor and one or two other vague literary men who were present 
did certainly manifest their delight at being in company so classy the actors very rightly demeaned themselves as though to sup with earls and dukes was an everyday occurrence of no especial interest your actor has no conception of social differences he has many characteristic faults no doubt but snobbishness is not one of them the man who may be julius caesar to-night just as yesterday he was mark antony and to-morrow will be louis the fourteenth is not going to feel or to show any sense of inferiority to a mere nobleman i was sitting next to corny grain whose main topic of conversation was gastronomical and who told me to be cheerful because there was no room for pessimism in a world which produced such delicious things as plover's eggs of which at that supper he consumed at least a dozen if the actors appeared indifferent to their surroundings i noticed with little shame that the century-old civility of the literary tribe to the possible patron was still manifesting itself the elderly editor whose name was known all over europe simply writhed with pleasurable emotion every time that the duke or earl addressed him at one moment i heard him say to the lord something somebody i don't remember whether i ever had the pleasure of meeting your dear father the late marquess which struck me as somewhat of a gaucherie i was much interested in my observations of the actors on the one hand busy with dainties and jeroboams the literary folk on the other snapping eagerly at crumbs of patronage and of my friend who seemed the incarnation of a fusion of all three classes represented there high up above us all as petronius arbiter may have been at any roman banquet however i was not allowed long to enjoy the spectacle and the piquantly cynical thoughts which it aroused for i was beckoned to come out of the room by algernon borthwick afterwards lord glenesk come along he said i can't possibly stand it any longer it makes one ashamed to be an editor to listen to old blank he'll be going on his knees next and licking the duke's boots there's to be a reception at blank house and i suppose he's angling for a card but this toadying sickens me come upstairs and i'll show you our pictures we have a peg woofington which is worth looking at and as we were going home with the milk i said to oscar i wonder if blank will get his invitation to blank house he said he has as much chance of getting there as to the moon when the duke gives a party he takes the red book and draws a line across the table of precedence and nobody under that line can have any hope of getting a card End of chapter one